When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the No Film School podcast. I am Jason Hellerman and today I'm joined by a guest, Evan Littman. For those of you who don't know or don't read No Film School all the time, Evan's written a couple articles for us, but he is a consultant in the distribution market. He works with writers, directors, producers, and other companies analyzing scripts, deciding packages should make it. He works at all the major markets, AFM, Cannes, Berlin. Evan and I met a few years ago, and I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. Hello, Evan. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Now, the reason I wanted to have you and, you know, this is a conversation we had had outside Don't Film School and I figured it would be beneficial for our listeners to bring you on and talk a little bit more is, you know, if you're just joining us, the SAG strike has ended. Voting's still going to go on in the next couple of weeks, but the general assumption around Hollywood is that it'll be ratified and actors as well as writers have gone back to work. Now, uh, we get to ask No Film School questions every week. People have written in and uh, in the past couple of weeks, I've gotten the same question from, I think, six or seven people. Shout out to Peter in Virginia Beach, Grace in Florida, and also Stephen in London, Cheerio London, Stephen. All three of you have written in with the same question, which is, now that the strikes are over, what does the Hollywood marketplace look like? So I figured I would bring someone in who is dealing with the marketplace every day, which is Evan. And we're going to kind of talk about what does Hollywood look like moving forward as these strikes have ended, not only for the end of 2023, uh, which we're in right now, but into 2024. So, Evan, you know, I, I'm sure maybe you had a quiet summer. I, you know, what was the summer like during the dual strike for you? It was pretty nerve wracking for myself and for a lot of people. There was it was kind of interesting because summer tends to be kind of long in the indie space. You have Cannes in May, usually like beginning, middle of May. And then there's AFM, which actually just wrapped up, and we can talk about that. And then there's Toronto in September, which is usually not as much of a market, but recently has been kind of like where people will sell projects that they weren't able to uh, get together for Cannes, or they think maybe the AFM will be too crowded. So yeah, the, the summer was, it was definitely interesting. And there were a lot of projections and predictions from people, all of whom were in some way correct and also some in some way wrong, including myself. So I'm, I'm glad that everything is wrapped up. Fingers crossed that SAG will ratify and more projects can get off the ground. Yeah. So let's pretend there wasn't a strike this summer. You're going to Cannes, you're going to Berlin, you're going to AFM. What, you know, give our listeners a rundown of what you would do, you know, when you arrive at one of these places and then, you know, where scripts and, and storytelling fits into that. Sure. So I'll talk a little bit about what I do more broadly and how the markets fit into it. I, I work in the independent 
pre-sales market. And that's not the same as the what the studios do because the studios are basically like giant revolving credit facilities that own intellectual property. The independent market is a little bit different. Independents are usually production companies, sales agencies, maybe some you know conglomeration of the two. And what they do is they get a package together. It's usually going to be a script and, and maybe a star. And they will, they will go to one of these markets. And what they will do is they will talk to distributors in all the different territories, all the different countries. Usually they're, they're targeting theatrical distribution. And so they will talk to each of them. So for example, they'll talk to a couple of distributors in Turkey and they'll say, hey, we have this new project. It's going to be awesome. It's, you know, what's the no film school, giant action movie, XYZ. It's going to be amazing. You know, we are happy to license you distribution rights for theatrical distribution for this for, you know, I don't know, 40 grand. And they will make that deal in Turkey with the Turkish distributor. They'll do it in Portugal with the Portuguese distributor, in Germany with the German distributor, and so on and so on. And they'll get different amounts of money because Germany can pay like, you know, a million, two million, and it's a much bigger market, whereas Turkey may not. And then they'll they'll have all those amounts of money promised to them. And they will take those promissory notes and basically borrow against it. And they will use that money that they borrow to make the movie. So that's how independent films a lot of times get made. There's a lot of companies in the market that do that. Fewer than there used to be, but there's still like quite a few to the extent that distributors get to choose which projects. And if they need help choosing which projects, they will call me. And so what happens is all of the companies that are trying to sell or license those, those movies pre-selling, right? Because the movie isn't made yet. They'll send me the script and the, the distributor that has hired me to look at the script, I will look at it. I'll write up like a report for them. I'll talk to them about like what I think, including, you know, some comps, like comparable movies. And then, you know, we will discuss and they will make their offer, at least their best offer, depending on how, you know, they feel about it. And maybe if there's some other projects that that same company is selling, they might say, hey, you know, we can only do this, but we'll take all of these movies for you know, a hundred grand or something like that. So that's, that's kind of uh, a, a really, really quick rundown um, of, of kind of what I do. And then the way markets fit into that is that's kind of like the, the, the big selling places and times, right? So, and it's usually like, I don't know, somewhere between like May 5th and May 15th, AFM usually like from like Halloween through like first week of November and Berlin, it's usually like, I don't know, second week of February. So like February 10th through 18th or something like that. Toronto is somewhere in September, something like that as well. So when you go to one of those markets, all of these companies have uh, what they call booths, but really they're renting just like very, very nice hotel rooms. And they've got their posters and marketing materials, and they've got TVs with like screeners on them or promos or sizzle reels or, you know, digital lookbooks or whatever they call it. And the prospective buyers will go in, they'll talk to them, they'll talk to the salespeople whom they know very well because we see each other every market. And then they will try to close the deal for whatever project it is. So that's the that's the overall rundown. The grand rundown, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for listeners who maybe are like, this sounds familiar, but I can't quite place it. Evan has written a couple articles on No Film School, which we'll link in the podcast article on our site. One, if you remember, a pretty popular article for us was I used Evan's script consulting service. I submitted a script to it and then we went through the feedback. You know, so we'll make sure that's linked as well. And Evan also had a list of things script consultants look for when they're reading specs, which I think maybe is a great transition into the strikes are done. 
the markets are kind of back up and running. People are putting together packages. You know, we kind of understand a little bit what Hollywood looked like last year at this time. But what are the differences that you're seeing now as these markets emerge, you know, in a post-strike era? Yeah, so the SAG, the SAG strike had actually a, I would say, a bigger impact. I didn't think that it would, but this AFM was so light. And I think the reason, I mean, I've heard this from a couple places. I don't know how true it is, but it feels true for whatever that's worth, is that, you know, with, with the end of the, the strike in sight, you had actors holding off on signing up for indie movies because they wanted to keep their schedules clear for like actual, like real money. Right. I mean, like, let's just say, right. Cause India isn't going to pay as much as like the next Marvel movie or whatever it is. So, you know, if, but if you can't do that movie, well, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make the money. So there's, this was, this was pretty light. So as far as the, as far as the projects that I was seeing, you know, a 24 showed up with like a, a good slate of interesting projects as they always do. They're kind of the, the indie darling, but they bring interesting stuff and they, Frankly, A24 like has like the balls to bring interesting stuff. Not every indie company is trying to do what A24 is trying to do. Some are just trying to kind of like stick to their guns with these like mid-range action movies, which 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 aren't quite what they what they used to be. So that that can sometimes be tougher. But A24 believes in themselves and they they bring not just like what we would call elevated horror, but also you know other interesting dramas uh, from sure. from really talented like directorial voices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think A twenty four. I think winds up being an aspirational company for so many people to work with, just because of the you know the star and the veneer that goes with it of just uh, you know being somewhere. Let me interrupt you quickly. You touched a little bit on some of the genres that people are looking. Is there always a predominant genre that you feel like? you know, most of these companies are selling X, Y, or Z internationally. I um, mean, you know, is there, is it always action heavy or horror heavy? Yeah. So people, it's kind of funny. Horror is always in demand. It's more in demand now than it ever was. And, and the reason is pretty simple. Like horror is a great communal theatrical experience in a way that a lot of action movies are not necessarily a lot of action movies, especially action movies with like people that you don't know or a lot of like the the straight to video straight to streaming projects i feel like a lot of viewers view them as a little bit more disposable whereas like horror movies it's like oh we're gonna go see that it's the new blumhouse new a24 they want to go to theaters and it's gonna be awesome right like it in and and i'm pleasantly surprised by that because horror a lot of times is is home to new breakout original and really interesting voices and so that's what that's what people want. And they want it in the indie space too. It took them a while to come around to it because it used to be kind of the opposite. Actually, it used to be like, well, action belongs on the big screen. That's what's going to get people in theaters and horror. Man, that could just go straight to DVD. But it's not really, it's not quite like that anymore. Yeah, it's funny. And sometime around the early two thousands, and you know, I, there might be other examples, but Saw is the biggest one I can think of, where Saw was supposed to be made to be a straight to DVD thing, and then. There wound up being a theatrical window open. They needed to plug something in. They plugged Solin and, you know, over $100 million later, you know, and nine movies, you know, then with nine movies that probably get them close to a billion later, yeah, it, it became a turning point truly in Hollywood and whatever. The turning point we're at now, I think you've kind of touched on a little bit, this post-strike world, people are playing it a little bit safer. That's, that's the echo I've been hearing around, which is like, what do we have that will definitely make money? You know, whether it's actors who are signing on to big budget studio movies or, you know, looking at smaller budget movies and saying like, what's the genre? Will this be popular? You know, the strike at, at times can feel like 
out of sight, out of mind. I know one of the biggest worries I had marching back and forth was like, is anybody going to be like, remember my name after this? You know, like, will I come back? And I'm sure, you know, in the acting profession, obviously, you know, there are men and women who are looking like, will I be on the cover of a movie? Will I be the thumbnail on Netflix after this and this sort of thing? So, you know, are you finding that the things are being submitted? Like, are there bigger names in these, what would typically be smaller genre movies or, or, or like, is most of it feel like, oh, these are like the people I'm used to seeing in the studio fair and then also, you know, sort of other people in leftover titles? Yeah, so it's, the indie space has always been driven by names and that part of that is just by virtue of how necessarily international it is, right? It's, you know, you can mistranslate a tagline, but you can't mistranslate DiCaprio space, right? So like everybody wants to know, or Nicolas Cage's, space as the as the case is more often but but everybody wants to know like who's going to be in it right and so but the thing is of course that not only do indies not pay as much but like they frequently take longer to get an indie project together because financing can sometimes be slapdash you know you're just like trying to cobble loans and equity and tax incentives together and then so what i see is companies trying to either feature or do something interesting with maybe like name actors that are not like put my face in the poster i'm leading this 300 million dollar movie right so like character actors that kind of have like little renaissances i feel like that's like an underutilized pocket and i i love to see that right i love like one of my favorite things is like comedy actors like playing against type because that's where you know if somebody if somebody does if somebody does that and they're in a movie then you're like dude did you see that you know Jim Carrey doing something dark or whatever, whatever it is. And people be like, oh yeah, I heard about that. It's a real easy way to get people like refer to your movie shorthand and take up that mental real estate. Maybe they'll buy a ticket. That's a great strategy. Do you see uh, a lot of shorts being submitted, you know, in ter- like along with screenplays if they're adaptations or, or is that not so much? Uh, no, I, I, I hope I'm not crushing anyone's soul when I say that like nobody really cares about shorts. And I, I, I tell people this all the time because sometimes people want me to like, look at their shorts to be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Is this good? Could could I submit this anywhere? There was like a brief period of time, probably like, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe where there a bunch of shorts were getting like picked up for adaptation or, but those, if you look at those closely, I think they were kind of being like godfathered in under like much bigger name directors like Peter Jackson or like Ridley Scott or something shorts. I, I don't think that they're, really like a viable avenue to like submit with the screenplay, whether it's a sh- an actual short or just a short screenplay. The reason is pretty simple. The discipline required to make a short, like it, it's a different, it's, it's not even really the same medium, right? Like a short film is like a few scenes. You just don't, you don't have the real estate to like really tie threads and character arcs together in the way that a feature does. So it, it doesn't, a good short doesn't necessarily translate. What are the so the, the packages are bringing to you basically are just you know headshots of actors. This is who's in it, and then the the screenplay, correct? Yeah, and sometimes there's like, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself here. Sometimes there's like lookbooks or whatever, and they're or they're like here. See, take this, take a look at this link to director Sizzle Reel. This really shows like their absolutely stunning, never before seen visionary take on this. I'm like, yo, I'm 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 not watching that. <laughs> I'm reading the script. Because the script is the thing that's actually going to be on screen. The sizzle reel, which is like basically just like a super 
cut trailer of like other movies that I hope are that I hope this movie is as good as that doesn't do anything for me. Yes, I wish this movie was as good as all those Oscar winning movies. But what is this movie? Well, that's in the script. That's not in the the lookbook or the serial reel. Yeah, I think, again, most of the people who are coming to know film score are looking for how do I get to the step where someone's taking my project and bringing it to AFM or bringing it to Cannes, bringing it to Toronto and trying to sell it with these people. Obviously, with the strikes ending, Hollywood kind of feels like the Wild West again. It, it, it always feels like the Wild West. Maybe now it just feels like we're in Deadwood and you're trying to figure out, you know, like, <laughs> what are the rules? <laughs> you know, like, who's Al Swearingen? How do, you know, how do we get to the OK Corral? Whatever, you know, like pull all the metaphors in and, you know, mix them up. But you know, if you're giving advice to younger filmmakers now, it's like, what's how, like, what, what do you think the step is before they get to you? You know, what, how do they find these producers? What's the best way in? Or, or do you have a way that you think is, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, like when you say like, is there a way? Obviously, like every single way is like extremely low percentage chance, right? This industry is hard. It The strikes are over, but that doesn't mean it got easier. It means it got harder, right? And so it, I actually think that the best way is to kind of do what you do, which is you have to write a lot and it, it all has to be like of a consistent professional quality. Right. Because one thing that I that I tell people is, you know, if you're writing to like kind of like please the market, like, dude, I can't tell you how many scripts come across my desk that are, you know, Hitman takes on one last job and somehow, you know, rescues a hooker with a heart of gold. You know, I I wish I was the target for that hit and somebody was going to kill me instead of reading another one of those scripts. So like that. But that stuff is so generic that like it can't be someone's favorite script. It's definitely not mine. Right. And the thing is, the marketplace is so difficult that you you kind of need a champion, especially if you're newer and your champion needs your script to be their favorite script, because a lot of times they can't go to their boss with two scripts and say, hey, man, what do you think about both of these? They go to their boss with the script and they go, this script is awesome. And if they can't, if they're not saying that about your script and they're saying it about somebody else, and that means that your script is probably not going to get made. That's really hard. It has to be somebody's favorite. It doesn't have to be everybody's favorite, but it has yeah, to be somebody's favorite. And that yeah, and, and what it's a search for one, like yes, voice. right? Yeah. 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 You're deep exactly, around looking right. for that one person, the you know, a singular champion, you know, preferably with links to money who can, who can bring somebody else in. But I I do think that's it's interesting. You know, as we see the business change, I mean, in real time, you know, while the dust settles. You know, it seems like the end of 2023 is a lot of people figuring out pre like, what are the projects we had pre-strike? Are they still viable? You know, do they still fit the mandates we had beforehand? And then looking towards the future, you know, what's crack into the new stuff in 2024? I guess that's that's my read on it. What's do you have a, a feeling just given the conversations you've been having? I think people are still kind of scrambling right now, partially due to the availability. But again, it kind of like I mentioned, like it's not about it's it's not as much about the writers in the indie space they because your script can be amazing but if they can't attach uh, a, a face to it that somebody recognizes then they're not gonna gonna make it part of that might have to do with castability right if you're not writing roles that like an actor can actually like take like a like a an actor that people care about can actually take then it's like your script can be amazing but it's going to be super hard to cast let me let me rewind real quick because you had asked you know how does a script get to me and I think that's important. So like not every indie is doing saw, right? Which is Lionsgate. Lionsgate is an indie, but but it but it's a huge indie, right? So your script right away is probably not going to go to Lionsgate. There are other smaller indies that might be 
that might be, you know, willing to take that on in some way. Typically, they're going to get projects submitted through an agent and that project is going to have been packaged in some small way, right? Your agent does not have to be at CAA in order for them to submit it to them as long as you have or they have a relationship with an executive over there. So it can be, it can be not, it doesn't have to be the biggest and the best, right? But you do almost certainly need representation. What's going to happen is if they like your project, they will probably option it and they will probably option it for very little money because that's how the game goes, right? Because this is all super tentative. It's, it's, it's all, yeah, we'll option it for a little bit and we'll see what happens in the market. And if we do big numbers on it, then that's great because we already say that this person is attached. That doesn't mean they're guaranteed. That just means they're attached. But if then everything comes together and your movie gets made, then great, we'll pull the trigger and, and you will actually make money. It's kind of how it goes. It's why the indie market is the Wild West because it's crapshoot, right? People play yeah. dice in the alley. <laughs> Right, so that's that's the way it gets you. So, do you foresee any big changes in that in twenty, like you know, post strike? There's no change in the pipeline, right? The change is mostly like what people are choosing. I think that it's actually going to be it's going to take time for people to restart, right? Because there was a little bit of like residual like like production stuff going on, like in the pipeline stuff that had been previously contracted before the strike started. And so those projects were still able to be completed. But then there was a bit of a lull because the strike went on so long, which is like 118 days or something like that. So that there was a bit of a lull. And even though there were quite a few projects that got interim agreements, I think there were also projects that just that that weren't able to get it together. And so I think we're kind of seeing things start to rev back up. I've heard several people, I've also seen the trades talk about this. That like they're like oh Berlin is going to be you know big because there wasn't that much stuff that can look Berlin is is almost never big but <laughs> <laughs> if there was going to be like a bigger Berlin where people were bringing like actual interesting projects maybe this is like the one yeah yeah it's funny from the acting point of view which is something we don't always go into on no films but something that just you know recently has come up mostly because of our experience in the strike and conversations and I was talking to a lot of execs who were saying. You know, now's the time to package with A-listers if you have a studio-ready script, right? Like you have an action comedy or you have whatever, like people like The Rock, Kevin Hart, Gal Gadot, 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 we say Gadot, Gadot, doesn't matter. You know, like all these A-list actors, Ryan Reynolds, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Florence Pugh, all the people. Anyway, like they, this is their window, right? Everyone's looking at, I was on strike. A lot of the projects I was attached to before the strike maybe moved or fell apart or aren't being pursued by the studios anymore. Like, is there a first quarter next year, a second quarter next year where I'm definitely available, where I can line up my studio movies so that my star meter on IMDb or whatever you want to call it, really my bank account doesn't go dry and I, I can do whatever I want. It does feel like there does, I don't want to call it a mad dash for finished specs right now, but it, it does feel like if you had a spec that was kind of hot that people were putting together, even several years ago, if it's stuck in their crawl or stuck in their mind, people are coming back and knocking on doors now because they need things to go early because of features that are moving, right? You look at like Deadpool 3 was supposed to come out in the summer. Now it's going to be pushed to the fall. Mission Impossible sequel, Dead Reckoning 2, which will get a new title and move to the following year. You know, like there, there are people with windows who are trying to shoot and get things done and studios who have not even just like money that they saved during the strike, but have just giant openings next year where they're like, what do we, what can we open in May? And looking for, you know, what are those movies and how do they put them together? Yeah, I, I think that's 100% accurate. And I think that like, it's so funny because a lot of people, 
a lot of writers that that I know were like, oh yeah, you know, the strike, this is going to be my opportunity. Like it sucks, but like, this is my chance to like, I can just work on my own stuff at home and then I'll be ready when it's over. And then, yeah, I don't actually know that many people who like did that, <laughs> but they all said they were going to do it. Uh, but, and, and I think that's amazing idea. And, and now is the time where it's like, oh my God, the, the writer strike was done and they've had like, you know, a few weeks to, to work on some of their stuff. The actor strike is done. Like, let's rock and roll. Who has something for me and who has something awesome for me? And so it is a little bit of a, a seller's market. If you're a writer and you have a script or even two scripts and they're like bangers, like you're pro- it's probably going to be in demand, at least for reads, if not like someone wanting to pick it up, like, but, but it has to be ready. It has to be ready to go. Like if you're just starting writing it now, then like, I don't know, or that wave may, may pass you. Right. By. Yeah, you're so you're not seeing like package treatments. You're all you're mostly seeing full finished scripts. Yeah, I, I, it's rare that I get a treatment and someone like views it as like, yeah, this is like a selling document, right? Because right. that's what a script is, right? A lot of time, it's just a, a selling document. It's happened. I I I cannot recommend a, a movie based on that unless like Steven Spielberg wrote it right. himself. The package would have to be humongous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He it's Spielberg and DiCaprio and, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, Hoyt, Hoyt's yeah. going to DP it. And you're just like, well, these people usually make good stuff that sells. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Finish, exactly. Your, finish your script. Don't no treatments are selling. This is the time to do it. One of the other sides of your business, which I touched on briefly, we have a whole article about it. I think actually several articles on No Film School about it is your get make consulting where people pay you money and you get on a Zoom with them uh, and you talk about their scripts. Right. So like, I, I'd love to finish our conversation today just with maybe some advice you have with for people who are putting together their scripts now. You know, like what are the, you know, let's say like three factors when you're reading something that says like, oh, like this is a studio movie, you know, or or like what are three factors that you're like, this is definitely good. Maybe start with like, this is a studio movie. This is like, you know, a, a bigger event thing. Well, what Do you have like three things that stand out that you're like, when you read something, you're like, oh, this is, you know, how I see it. Yeah, let me let me let me preface this by saying that like yeah I yeah I, I work with like with with writers directors and sometimes actors and producers and a lot of them are are working on getting a script or a package ready to go to the indie market or they're in the indie market maybe they're getting offers and they like don't know or some of them are like oh how do I get this out there can I like creatively improve this and so I work with them I, but I also just want to say that like nobody needs that service uh, and because uh, I know there's there's definitely some like sketchy people out there who are offering similar services for like, I don't know, like a thousand dollars, something obscene that you, that you don't need. Um, so as far as like things that I see that, that say like, like studio, like the, the, the first thing or, that or studio I, versus indie. Yeah. How do you pick or, or you know, where yeah. do you recommend it? I mean, the, the number one thing that I, that I see is budget, right? Because, because I'm, I'm always thinking to myself, how much is this going to cost? And the reason I think that is because how much is it going to cost to make? almost directly translates into how much is this going to cost my clients to buy, right? And so, and, and the higher something cost, the higher something is budgeted and the higher it costs to buy, the more money it has to make in theatrical. And that means that my clients are taking on a lot more risk in one package, right? Because it's just one movie. So like, if you're like, for example, there have been, you know, countless Liam Neeson breaks bad guy faces movies that come out over the past, like, let's say 20 years. And like, and, and, and they're not all taken, right? But they're all priced like they might be the next taken. Thing is, if it's the next taken, that's great, but that performs at like baseline expectations. If it's not, 
then everybody loses money and, and is sad, including me. So the so that's the number one thing that I look for is like his budget. And so then writers might be like, well, I'm not a UPM. How do I know budget? I mean, just some basic understanding of how like physical production works helps everybody, including you, right? There's some, I'm sure like tons of, of books and materials out there. You probably can think of some. I can I can look at my my bookshelf after this and, and send you a text or something. But basically, I think that's that's probably the first thing that I would say is like, know how much your movie costs. Yeah. Yeah, and, and accurately. I will say like the conversations I have with people all the time, it's like, don't say, oh, we could do it for three and a half. And then they read it and they're like, this is Titanic. Like, what are we doing here? You know, like, <laughs> know it and, and know it accurately because honestly, that'll affect who you should be sending it to. You know, like, I love A24 as much as everyone else does. It feels like it's like the popular place to say is cool. But I don't think they're making Avatar. You know, like they don't, they're not risking the $500 billion budget on it. You know, maybe they'd co-pro with the studio, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like there's, there's lots of intricacies of that conversation. But, you know, if you wrote Avatar, you would be sending it to Fox or Disney or, you know, which are the same place now. Or, you know, or Paramount or any of these large spots at, you know, Apple, Amazon, whatever. Like I, I think A24 would be fun to send it to, but also like, you know, you're taking your shots. Same thing with your spec take your shot somewhere that makes the kind of movies that you've written at that budget level. Yeah. There's, it, it doesn't seem like there's enough of a consideration of that and that, and, and I should say that I, I include screenwriters, obviously sometimes don't take that into consideration, but it feels like sometimes when I like read scripts that are on the blacklist that people are like, Oh man, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe this hasn't been made yet. I'm always like, I know why it hasn't been made yet. <laughs> it is a, like, $500 million movie that reads awesome, but but is unmakeable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so not that I'm some genius, by the way, like, I'm just sure, guy, totally. that's, that seems like yeah. a pretty standard thing. So I'm like, well, people are recommending these, uh, obviously, as like, phenomenal pieces of writing, but also, yeah. you know, if it's a script, we want it to get turned into a movie, hopefully a great exactly. movie. Exactly. Yeah. Aside from budget, you know, what are maybe two other things you're like, oh, this is this is what stands out when I'm reading this or like things you flag Maybe, you know, for your clients, and then we'll get into like just some generic script advice, I think. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I would say that this is, I think that's pretty common among people who have like read like, you know, thousands of scripts. Like we know by like page three, like if you can write, right. right. But, but that doesn't, but especially if we are like paid to finish reading the script, that does not mean that your, your fate has been foreclosed. Right. So like, there are different aspects of screenwriting that can elevate a script. And, and so, for example, when I read a script and I'm like, man, somebody like this person is not as strong at writing dialogue. If the rest of the script is really strong, you know, plot wise, theme wise, character wise, but there's a lot less dialogue. I'm like, oh, this person like played to their strengths. And I think that this script is like actually pretty good. And so I would say that a lot of screenwriters don't necessarily play to their strengths. Like you got to know what you're good at. Not everybody's yeah. good at, at everything. There are some people who are not so good at writing dialogue and they're still like relying on characters to just like, you know, expo dump, just like give me all the exposition right here. And I'm like, yo, this is like boring, man. Like the don't, please don't, please don't bore me with something that you're not good at. And then I'll read like their action set pieces. And I'm like, where was this? This should have been right. everywhere. You know, yeah, lean, lean so, into your strengths. Yeah, lean into your strength. I don't I don't see enough of that. And, you know, it's tough because you're you, you read your script, you wrote your script. So you're like, yeah. how do I know, you know, have someone you trust give you feedback or like just be ruthless with yourself. It's yeah. hard. I mean, screenwriting is hard. 
So I think that's that's another thing. What was the, what was the last one that you were asking about? Just you know, I, and you've touched on it maybe danced around a couple of times. Just like you're reading something, what's the moment? Is there a unifying moment where you're like, "This is good. This is a recommend. This is you know, I'm I'm happy that I get to finish this." Is that you know, I'm, I'm sure it's different. You know, nuance with every script, but is you know, do you have a general feeling of when you get it, when you know? Yeah, I think there's there is not enough time spent on coming up with a good idea. And when I say, and, and to be clear, execution matters with good ideas. Cause you know, there's a lot of people in Hollywood who are like, I'm an idea guy. I'm like, that means you don't do anything. Right. Yeah. But like it, there's not enough time spent on coming up with a good idea because for me, if I get a script, if I get a script that's submitted by like a, a, a client or, or a professional, you know, and it, it that means it's going to come with a log line. And if that right. log line is good, I am excited to read it. Right. And sometimes the logline might be like subordinated to the elements involved, right? So for example, like the logline for John Wick is like not the most original thing ever, right? It's just like, you know, retired hitman, like kills people, like get to his boss, read that a million times. But if you're like, yo, Keanu Reeves is like avenging his dog. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's, and it's directed by like former stunt guy and it's awesome. And you're like, okay, I'm way more interested in reading this, right? So yeah. like, that's, I, I think that like when I get a script that I don't know what the log line is for whatever reason. Maybe like a friend is like, Hey, I need your take on this. You know, it's, yeah. it's my new spec. It's vaguely in this genre or whatever. And I read it when the, when the concept reveals itself to me, which should hopefully happen within like, let's say the first 30 pages, although that's not yeah. a hard and fast rule. If I like get the concept and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is baller. That's when I'm like excited to read the rest of the script. Right. Yeah. And so I, again, I feel like, there's not enough time spent on that. And I wonder if, especially for writers who are even pre-WGA or maybe just like they're kind of just like doing it for fun at home or something, oh, there's, I feel like there's a lot of books that kind of like give like formulaic logline recipes. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know where this like, you know, main character X must do thing Q in order to succeed with why because of his emotional journeys. Yeah. I, I'm like, yo, what? Yeah. Why? Look, as a, <laughs> as a guy who wrote the logline article with the formula on no film school, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I do think, you know, the one thing we'll always say is like, what's a noisy logline? And the idea is, yeah, like it's, you know, X plus Y equals Z, but you, there should be a left turn in there, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. well, like you said, like the generic movie is like a, a hitman mourning the loss of his wife, you know, decides to get out of the business. But like the left turn is, but after Russian thugs, who don't know he is kill his dog. He's forced back into a life of crime to get all, the ultimate vengeance. Like you mean like that left turn of the dog pulls it in. I was talking to a mutual friend that you and I know who will remain nameless about what's the difference between a good script and and like a script that you're like, oh, this is a a movie. You know, like this is a movie. And I use Double Indemnity as the example, right? Double Indemnity. If you guys haven't seen it, is about an insurance salesman and he meets a woman and she's like, let's take out a huge policy on my husband and kill him and we can get the money and the insurance salesman's like, yes, let's put him on a train because if he dies on a, you know, an in-train accident, it pays out under the double indemnity clause. It's great. It's a great movie. One of the greatest, if not the greatest film noir of all time, certainly one of the greatest movies of all time. Anyway, what makes, you know, what I just told you is a, that's a great idea for a good script, right? But what makes double indemnity one of the greatest screenplays of all time is that one, you have one twist, right? It's like, hey, I'm trying to sell you insurance. Let's murder your husband. That's not the end. You know, that could be, that's someone's spec. You know, I, I think I've written plenty of specs like that where it's just, 
one thing's happening the whole time. And if you can do one thing well, great. You know, like, I, congratulations. But what makes that one of the greatest scripts of all time is that the twists keep turning. You know, the, the, di- you know, the, the cogs continue to spin. It's not just that we're going to kill the husband. It's that, it's that the, the wife might have actually killed the, the wife previously. You know, it's like the murder is in her vein, that she's tricked maybe other people into murder, that she's now planning to murder you later. Like it's, it doesn't stop in, until the end, the final scene. You know, you're constantly guessing things are constantly twisting around and turning. You know, you think that movie's starting one way, it's ending a different way. And, and that to me is like what sets it apart is that, you know, it keeps its foot on the pedal the whole time. It's not just delivering one concept that's good. It's delivering, you know, a great living and breathing document that continues to change as you read it, not that it delivers on page 30 and ends on page 90. And you're like, oh, great. This gave me exactly what I wanted on page 30. It should give you something you had no idea was coming, you know, and I think like the most effective movies, whether it's Saving Private Ryan or Moonlight or, you know, La La Land, you know, <laughs> or, you know, any of these uh, to all the way to Casablanca, Sister Kane are delivering you a movie that you had no idea you thought was coming. You know, Citizen Kane, very easy to do the portrait of a rich guy who dies and nobody knows about him. But, you know, to have the big reveal at the end, sorry, people, spoiler alert for Citizen Kane, is that it, no matter how much money and power he had, he always yearned for his childhood. Is It's a movie that you didn't know you needed, but it's what delivers just like Fight Club, you know, winds up being a movie about toxic masculinity and literally fighting with yourself to get through it. You know, and I do think, you know, for those of you listening who have listened to this and be like, I still don't know how to break in or, or what to do. 99% of it is writing a great script. And, and I, I think we are often looking for that formula or that way in or like, you know, as Evan touched on like, getting the right feedback or, you know, that, that obsessive click of the button, whether it's the blacklist or stage 32 or any of these sites that, you know, where you get a high rating. It's not just that it, it is having something great on the page that continues to live and breathe. And, as Hollywood changes post-strike, the only surefire way in the door is to have something great people are excited to make. And, and I don't think that'll ever change. Yeah, 100%, man. I am constantly looking for something great. I, there's, you know, I, there, I think there's a lot of cynicism out there about, man, Hollywood doesn't make good movies anymore. They just want crap. So what's the point of me and my you know, brilliant screenplay trying to break in? I'm like, yo, if your screenplay really is brilliant, everybody will want to read it because most screenplays are not brilliant. So if it is really brilliant, like, dude, people are going to be clamoring for it. I remember this old Hollywood manager. I was talking to her at a party once, a Christmas party at this point, a decade ago. And uh, she, she just, she told me, she's like, there's this great myth in Hollywood that there's a thousand great screenplays that just have, that are just buried somewhere that like the town didn't make. She's like, that's fucking bullshit. She's like, there's not like the we we absolutely sometimes it takes a while, but we make the great ones. There's just a lot of people who think what they've done is great and and they're wrong about it. And I just remember like it's a tad cynical, but I also think it does feed into like if you do have something great and you can push it, you know, take it to the limit. This is the place to get it done. And, you know, the best idea is hopefully the in some instances, the cream does rise to the top, um, especially if it's on the page and it's available for huge people to make. Yeah, I think it generally does rise to the top, which is not to say that Hollywood is entirely a meritocracy, right? Let's not correct. Let's not yeah, crazy, <laughs> yeah right? that podcast will let's never not. come. Yeah, the meritocracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not. It's let's, definitely let's not. It. Yeah, yeah, but but there is, you know, I because I remember when 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 the script is really really good and it's like going around, you know, people will be 
text each other. Hey, did you read that? No, wait. Yeah. Oh, dude, I heard about it. I haven't got it yet. It's on my weekend read list, whatever. Yeah, you got to read it. You got to read it. Here you go. I'll text you. I'll email it to you, whatever. Yeah. Like that, because people want to read stuff that is good. Because when you read stuff that is good, you're like, oh, this isn't as much of a job anymore. Right? No, it's and infectious. Read, yeah. Yeah. And when you read stuff that is bad, which is always, you're like, oh, I'm watching the clock. Right. Yeah. When I was an assistant, I just your weekend read, you know, on Sunday afternoon after you watch football, you have like seven scripts you have to get through. And if, if even one of them was good, if if it was great, you know, maybe take a walk and you're just like, I'm not doing the rest of this reading. This is amazing. I found a great one. But just like the amount of bad stuff you get, the one that was good, I would be like, you got to have a general with this person. It's so good. We have to meet them just because they saved my weekend. You know, and I, I do think people are so excited to read something good. And to, you know, have their socks blown off by great writing. So, you know, as we yeah. wrap up here, Evan, is there any kind of other point you wanted to, you know, make or any anything you think the listeners should know just about Hollywood's changing landscape and, you know, where we're headed? Uh, yeah. Do we have another three hours to talk about AI? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll definitely have you back for that discussion. Oh, we, I'm we have not some fun AI stuff coming up. Yeah, I, I think that the number one thing is that, you know, there was a, I forget when this this like speech or whatever happened, but Mark Duplass kind of like gave a, it was like a, a speech or something where he kept, he kept saying like the Calvary is not coming. But the point is that like, do not wait for everyone else to like tell you yes, right. You are the one that you can and need to rely on and like building your own community of people that you want to work with that are talented, that are hardworking, that share your aesthetic sensibilities. That's what's important. That's what the business is, you know, Instead of being like, when, when, you know, when am I going to get that call from Disney? Like you right. can, I'm not going to say that you can build your own Disney, but like you can build your own group of people that you yeah. want to work with. And it is, and it is just as valid and just as enjoyable. And, and, you know, that's, that's also Hollywood. That's how you carve out your own little corner of it. You don't need to rely on everybody else or anybody else. It's hard. But everything about Hollywood is hard. Yeah, if it was easy, this is the job everyone would do. It's got to be uh, so brutally <laughs> uh, hard that, uh, you know, only the strong survivor or just, the, you know. But yeah, find your tribe and it'll be much easier. I do think the older I get, the more thankful I am to have friends I can rely on and people I can work with, especially, you know, the more and more you need reading. Uh, before we go, Evan, uh, you know, go ahead and plug Get Made, if you'd like. Tell people where they can find you. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can just you can go to uh, getmadeconsulting.com. And there's, I believe I have an Instagram and a, and a Twitter, but like, I don't really post them anymore. So <laughs> yeah, totally for getmadeconsulting.com. We'll include the link to some of Evan's other articles for No Film School in the podcast thing. As always, I am at Jason Hellerman on Twitter. I'm on the old blue sky now at Jason Hellerman there. I'm at Jason Hellerman on Instagram. And if you want to email me like the many people I mentioned who inspired this, uh, you know, very special podcast hashtag, you know, Jason at nofilmschool.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being with us today, Evan. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, man. All right. We'll talk to you. You know, happy listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>